Welcome back to our next episode, part two of A Man's World,、uh, talking specifically about masculinity. We have our two guest speakers, Uncle K. Hello. And we also have Steve. Hello.、Uh, we're carrying on with our conversation from last week. So if you have just joined this week, maybe go back and listen to that episode first. But here we go. Here's the rest of our conversation. So, continuing on, providing for your family slash being the breadwinner, do you feel like there's an expectation there, gentlemen? Oh, very much so.、Um, it's that's. I think that's probably、uh, a male pride point that I had to、uh, to sort of to work on for myself.、Um, when I met Jing, she was a med student,、um, uh, so obviously I was earning more than she was,、um, and.、Uh, And I was pursuing、uh, some roles in management within schools, which meant that actually I probably could have stayed ahead of the curve with her.、Um, but due to the pressures of both of our jobs, I can remember one evening I was、uh, sitting listening to Jing, and she'd had one of those horrible days that junior doctors sometimes have, and she was very upset. And I was thinking to myself, right, I can listen for about the next twenty minutes, but then I've really got to get on with that work that I need to do for tomorrow. And I sort of caught myself in that moment and thought, "No, that's not right. Something's very wrong here with the priorities." And I had to sort of decide to. With, with doctors, they either have to continue and progress, or stop. There's no you, you kind of you can't sort of stop partway through your training at that level and just sort of sit there.、Um, you have to kind of keep on going till the end of the race, and then once you hit consultant, then you're sort of you're there. But for teachers, I mean, I, I had the option. I could either continue on the management track. Uh, and so you know, try and push for a, a senior management role and a head teacher role one day, or I could always fall back on just teaching,、um, have less responsibility and more time for family. And in the end, I that that was what I decided because、um, it was what Jing and I needed.、Um, we needed a bit more capacity within the home, and I was the only person that was able to step down and do that. But that meant for me, kind of giving up my more traditional. Idea of being a provider, of being the breadwinner,、um, which, which, I think is almost a bit of a redefinition of that.、Um, I think Ben was saying earlier about we can take these traditional ways of looking at things, but we can sort of see how they apply to our current situation. And in this situation, the hardest thing for me was to provide not the thing that I thought I had to provide, but the thing that was needed. Yeah, and I mean. Like that idea, actually, of of you being the one, the man being the one that provides for for their family, it makes sense in a society where women are not a not allowed to work, or or working is kind of、uh, looked down on, maybe.、Um, but actually, when when most families need to have two incomes, right? Like if if you're if you're married and you have kids, you probably do need. Two incomes most of the time to to just keep up with with mortgage and childcare costs and everything.、Um, actually, it's a different paradigm to to what it was a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago. I think it's also the case that a, a long time ago,、yeah. more work was physical. I mean, e- even if it was a skill like being a blacksmith, there was still a physical element to it. And that might be where men's physical strength meant that they were the ones that had to be、um, 
they, they, they had to be the earner because physically they were the strongest and that was where earning came from. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, that raises questions for me of like, um, how, how, you know, like, uh, you, you might hear in the media, like, or on, on social media, people talk about like the patriarchy and how, um, men have, have, have dominated society for, for most of, most of, um, developed, uh, humanity. Um, but actually it raises the question for me of like, what does it mean to be like a, a biblical man? How do we separate out like the, the things which aren't helpful, um, which, which maybe have happened, um, throughout culture from the things that, that God intended for, uh, men and for, for, for manhood. And I looked into that um, in, in, in last week um, and I was looking at sort of what the Bible said about being a man and you can sort of generalize it more. The Bible talks about humans uh, more broadly and, 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 and how we should live according to God's plan for us. But then, OK, that's that's not getting specific for men. So that's what I try to look at the specifics for men. But a lot of that advice is centered around either being a husband or being a father. Um, and not all men are husbands and fathers. So kind of trying to find that sweet spot in between not being so general as to include both genders, but not being so specific as to just be looking at some specific male roles rather than masculinity in general. And the only one I could think of was there was some stuff in Corinthians about men outside the context of marriage or parenthood. Uh, and that was, it was, it was talking about the, the leadership role of men within the church. Um, and, and how that was sort of a, a man's role rather than a woman's role, um, a much debated piece of scripture. Okay. Do you have any thoughts? So, um, <clears throat> so gr growing up in a, um, so I grew up in Malaysia, so where there is a very, uh, patriarchal, patriarchal society. Um, so one of the defining roles of men is that they, they're breadwinners and so uh, they bring in the money and, um, Mum will will usually be the the housewives, so I, I grew up with that sort of um, with, with that sort of um, atmosphere. Um, and then when I became a believer, um, when let's talk about um, what I'm trying to say now. Um, When there is a sort of a slight tension between what what the biblical perception or or teaching of being a man is, you know, being sacrificial, being humble, uh, being loving to your wife. Not that it's not incom incompatible with um, the, the the sort of a man stereotype that I grew up with, but there's slight tension there, you know. Um, so. But equally, I, I observe a, a, a very a drastic change within just one generation because, you know, my mom was a housewife, is a housewife. And now, you know, my wife, it's a, uh, she, she goes to work. So just within one generation, I can see that sort of a seismic change in terms of the woman's role. Um, so it's something that I'm still trying to understand and trying to absorb um, and I would expect that my daughter would be working and contributing to the society 
and earning money for the family um, and that to come really. Are housewives bad? No. Um, you know. <laughs> it's a trick question. Um, <laughs> for for every successful man or sons, there there is a a, a selfless housewife or housemother. Does that mean that sons can't be successful with a housewife or mother? <laughs> uh, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm going to. I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to step into that trap. Um, I'm going to throw myself in. But I, I've. I've got a lifeline. Um, but you were a house husband for some period of time. Well, that's, not that, that was my lifeline. Thank you for the spoiler. Um, Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, so I'll say. Lots of people are in different circumstances and do their best in the circumstances that they find themselves. Um, and that's not to say that they would necessarily be the circumstances they would choose. I think if you are in a situation where you can have a homemaker, where you can have someone in, in, in the home dedicating more time to the home and the children, that's certainly beneficial. Whether it stacks up as worth the loss of a salary or not is a difficult decision. But um, for for Jing and I, um, we uh, I, I took I took six months of shared parenting leave, um, and I suppose that's sort of a, a short term uh, situation um, where I was looking after Joshua so Jing could go back and finish her registrar chain training, uh, and yeah, you do still get some sort of uh, pittance of uh, of of, of, of um, shared parenting leave pay, um, but effectively, yeah, I was I was a house husband. Um, Again, only for six months, but actually that's something we're looking at doing on a longer basis uh, with our second child. And we, we were planning on doing until COVID messed up everybody's uh, plans. So the, the, the plan currently with us is that I'm going to take a couple of years out to look after the children at home um, whilst, whilst Jing's working. And I think earlier on, we talked about how manly are you? Um, and does that make me less manly? Um, I imagine in some people's eyes it does. Um, but then I've always sort of... Um, well, in some ways, I've complied with the sort of the stereotype. I can remember one Christmas, my dad and I were out in the garden chopping wood, and my mum and my sisters were in the kitchen baking and singing. Oh yeah! And you couldn't get a more Disney stereotype <laughs> of masculine versus feminine roles <laughs> if you try to contrive one. Uh, at the same time, um, or well, as you said, I, I, I'm planning to do some stay-at-home dad time uh, in our house. If something needs sewing, I, I'm, I'm the one that knows how to sew. I do most of the cooking. Um, but I also do the kind of the sort of the more traditionally masculine stuff like changing a tire as well. Um, so I kind of I've, I've never really understood how somebody would define their attributes by what they can't do and putting mm. limits on themselves. Um, uh, I've always sort of thought, well, surely everybody should try to be capable in as many realms as they can. Yes. Um, and it might be that some people will have tendencies to be better at other things, but you try and get develop a base level competence in, in sort of everything that you need to take care of yourself and those I, that I, you I'm glad after. you shared that, Steve, because what you were saying about Paul's teaching about what it means to be a man, actually, and most of it ref, revolving around maybe particular roles that, that men have, like a husband or, or a father. And I was, I was kind of thinking, well, why doesn't the Bible just have this clear list of like, this is how men should be and this is how women should be? And it, it occurred to me that maybe actually, like that verse in 1 Peter, actually we're all just God's children. Um, and, and yes, maybe it refers to us as sons, but actually women are included in that. And that's a contextual 
reference to to mean that that we all get the inheritance um maybe it's less about like how has god differentiated us as men and more about how do we as men who maybe are more egocentric maybe have more testosterone and um all of these things that that lead to these stereotypes how do we then figure out what it means to be children of god and maybe that's a different thing that women have to do because they they're coming from a different set of stereotypes and a different um cultural and and biological um background so maybe it's less about kind of these very clearly defined categories that we have to fit into and more how do we apply our experience of the world of people telling us as men we have to we have to like suck it up and not cry and um and be able to solve problems and and not ask for help and all what all the what the world tells us maybe that's just us trying to, to collectively figure out how we how we deal with it and um as christians maybe we don't come at it from like is some very clear categories maybe we come at it from what does it mean for me as a child of god now I would agree on one hand uh, and disagree on another. Um, where I would agree is that the most important thing is our relationship with God. And I think that um, has some fundamentals that are irrespective of gender um, that we can work on without worrying about our gender. Uh, and that's absolute. I, I would also agree that the differences and distinctions can be overplayed harmfully. Um, I think where I might disagree would be, I think there is, uh, society is asking itself a lot of questions about gender. And I think that they're trying to throw out the idea that there could be any differences on the basis Mm. that sometimes those differences are overplayed harmfully. Um, And it would be incredibly tempting to dodge that issue by going along with it a bit. Um, but, uh, I think w- what I believe with regards to, to gender roles from a biblical perspective is that, um, God has an individual plan for every individual more complex than, right. You half of, of humanity do this, you half do that. It's down on an individual level. So actually, um, you know, we, we need to actually speak to him one-to-one. We, we can't just read the Bible. We also have to pray and, uh, and kind of have that one-to-one instruction for what his plan is for us. But there is some, I believe, sort of uh, some roles. I think that generally God has sort of said that he wants us to do. He, he's, he's asked the husband to be the, the head of the marriage, um, mm-hmm. to take on that. And I think if that's done well, it's brilliant but if it's done badly that's where a lot of the problems come in i think if 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 we take what i believe is god-given authority but we do not take on the responsibility in how we do that then it's that's massively open to abuse but i think that's the problem that's almost the problem of, of the world in general the fallen world is that god has made something that is brilliant and works and then the fallen world has taken it and corrupted it and the corrupted version of that uh, is where the problem lies, not with the yeah. original intent. Um, so if we can sort of try and get back to the original intent, I mean, the kind of leadership that we see um, or that we should see for, from a husband for his wife would be the same leadership 
that that Christ has for the church, it's his bride. I mean, ultimately, he 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 didn't fall short of of directing the church. He you know he he very clearly told us what was needed. He took a leadership role, but was willing to die for his bride. Um, it was it was a sacrificial servant leadership, and and I I I think that is. Um, it's a role that God has given men. I think if the, if if you're in a marriage, um, that the husband should be a servant leader, emulating the model that Jesus provided to his his bride, the church. I think that God has given a tendency in men to have traits that enable them to do that. I think um, men tend to be uh, more assertive. Um, and that's kind of uh, reflected in all the conversations about alpha and I think mansplaining sometimes is a word that's thrown out there, which I won't get into. Um, <laughs> I, I think that God gives us gives us traits like assertiveness um, or a tendency for that. But like I said, God's got an individual plan for every man and every woman. So the traits that he gives us might, might vary. I think uh, Kay has got a very gentle, calm demeanor and maybe less of a a tendency towards assertiveness, if I understood what you said earlier, Kay. Um, although if it's required of you, then you can step up and provide leadership when it's needed. Um, that might represent part of what God's different individual plan is for you. And he crafts, he crafts every tool individually to the purpose that he has. Fully I agree. Like Fully agree with that. So I'm just, I'm just reflecting what Steve was saying just now. Um, I'm just talking about or thinking about, you know, masculinity and um, feminism. Um, and I'm just thinking that, you know, that there's so much hostility between these two aspects. And I just wonder what it is because, and that happens, is it because men are not confident and comfortable with their masculinity and the women, um, the women are not confident or comfortable with their femininity? And that's why we have this sort of a standoff or. Well, humanity, humanity has been in rebellion against God's plan since yeah. very near the beginning. And if God has a plan that involves to some extent, a sort of a tendency for men and women to fall into different roles, then men and women are likely to abuse that and rebel against it, which is part of the free will that God yeah. gave them. And um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Actually, we we can we can look to jesus uh and he is the the archetype of he was there first right like and he is um we were talking last week about like what gender is god but we definitely agree that jesus as the son of god was a, a physical man um and so we can look to jesus and we can say that's what a man should look like that's what that's what god had in mind uh as as like you said a, a servant leader um and that's totally different to, to what the world says a man is right like this this macho guy who has to be the the strongest and um the smartest and and do everything by himself and um that's that's not really who jesus is although i suppose he is the most powerful but that's not the that's not the trait yeah. that um that is important in this in this case i think Okay, so so guys, I wanted to ask you, because Steve, you mentioned earlier about the whole hunting, survival, guns, and you also mentioned your um, cadet training and your 
techno army type history does that imply that you're not a pacifist then i'm not a pacifist no um but obviously that then brings up the obvious question of turning the other cheek and for, for me the idea of turning the cheek if somebody slaps you in the face that is actually not really a danger or a threat it's an affront to your dignity uh, if someone slaps you in the face it's it's an insult it isn't actually an injury so it's your pride that would make you react to that it's your arrogance and lack of humility that would cause you to to try and take issue with that to turn the other cheek is to is to be humble like um yeah but jesus was Um, humble to the point of death (laughs) yeah he, he he was he was willing to die but why was he willing to die and it was it was to save those that he loved and if you look at all of the soldiers um, that have served, I'm, I'm, I, I recently rewatched Band of Brothers. Um, oh, such a manly it's so show good, though. to watch. Ansley, Ansley, Which, you should I watch have it. Not, it's I have not, not about, seen it. It does I, not I glorify war. It's, it's, it's a show that, that makes you astounded at, at, um, at the I sacrifices people make. No, thanks. Yeah, and that's kind of my point. Those, those, those guys that sort of went out there, they were, um, they were putting themselves at risk to protect those they loved back home um i think if you kind of uh, war is very much an, is, is of a national industrialized organized sort of uh way of if you're going to boil it down to if somebody was going to do harm to somebody that you loved would it be wrong to prevent that with violence and uh, we talked about the man's duty to provide I think there's a duty to provide security to your family. I mean, physical security and safety. If there is a a, a violent threat to your family, I believe that um, uh, uh, almost any man would be willing to put themselves in harm's way and be willing to put the aggressor in harm's way in order to protect their, their wife and their children. I don't think if you look at it in those terms, many people would disagree some people might or they'd really like to try to find a way to um i think if you contrast that with turn the other cheek or my interpretation of turn the other cheek which is if someone slaps you in the face that's an affront to your dignity it's only your pride that's making you react to that is very different to to protecting the weak and the vulnerable i mean jesus is a shepherd um in that image that we see with his flock he's he's carrying a he's carrying a stick um to, to, to fight off the wolves um you know it's 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 where necessary um but not uh, but it's not necessary for the defense mm. of your dignity hey, what do you think um I, i'm just um i'm just it's interesting that uh when we talk about wars and pacifists and, and that sort of thing it, it made me think of a, a movie called um hackshaw mm. rich yeah i'm not sure where we watched that before so it's about a story about this uh, this guy who refused to bear arm, um, but he he went to become the uh, the medic um, in in our in the army, um, but he was uh, bullied and ostracized because because of his pacifist stand because of religious background, and he ended up you know saving like seventy five people or something like that. So 
you know, it's just sort of a contrasting situation where, you know, he, him as a pacifist, but in the, in the context of war. And that makes me think of, of Jesus as well, that um, he, he knew that, you know, he's going to a very dangerous situation. Um, like he was saying, that lay down his life um, to save us. And that's, that's the ultimate manifestation of, of, um, of how brave and how glorious he is. Yeah, it's funny that you should mention that, Uncle K, because um, this whole, you know, pacifism first versus justified violence, I think it reminds me of the nature of God and how there's the grace element of God and there's also the wrath element of God. Um, but then, of course, when we're looking at the worldly hum- humanity, um, of course, we're going to get it a bit skewed up in our opinions because of the way that violence can go overboard. You know, what what one person can see as justified and righteous anger may be, you know, skewed in a completely wrong thinking compared to, you know, someone who is... Do you know what I mean? Like, there is an element of brainwashing involved when it came down to the Nazis um, fighting, right? So, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's so, an interesting one. Uh, I was thinking, actually, there's, there's, in my mind, there's a definite difference between a war and a, uh, a like a, an individual incident where you might intervene to prevent someone from from getting hurt more or to protect someone. Because um, I don't think anyone would would disagree with stepping in to to prevent someone who's maybe vulnerable from from being hurt or or even just putting yourself in harm's way to protect someone else um even if that involves physical aggression on your part to stop whatever's happening um but then i think there's this there's this other side of it as well where um so for me i would i would i would say i feel like the majority of of like organized violence like a war um is either unnecessary or it seems very senseless um in that the only way we can resolve our differences is by having millions of people slaughter each other um seems unnecessary uh or it seems like maybe there's a different way that we can solve this without having to to take someone's life um and then i think when we think about it in terms of not just jesus but the disciples um I was thinking of Stephen and it, it, if you read his story in Acts, it, it, um, it, it seems like he could have avoided being killed if he wanted to. Um, but it was this idea of like, actually that's what it, to me, that's what turning the other cheek means. It's not, it's not being, um, uh, passive. It's not, it's not kind of just shrugging your shoulders, but it's also about more than just def- like defending lack of defending your honor. It's about it's about standing up for something in a way that's um, that has consequences for you. That that means that he's going to be hurt because he's making a decision not to retaliate here. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thinking in terms of conflict, right? Because I was also thinking about the spiritual world. And we, we can't, um, we can't just say, 
well, there isn't a spiritual battle going on. We have to be active in that, right? And we have to be active in prayer and in, um, in, in knowing that there is this tension, this, this battle between good and evil that's going on, even though um, Jesus has the victory over it all. Since the beginning of time, Ben, we all know that there's always been a battle, yeah. um, not just spiritual, but even throughout the, you know, the Old Testament, constant battles. And there's, you know, even when you look at um, Matthew 24 about the wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, and, you know, this is the nature of the world we live in, as depressive as it sounds, the realist in me always says it, you know, this is the nature of a fallen oh, well, world. Yeah, there's a difference between knowing that that's going to happen and supporting a war, for example. I think, um, obviously, we've got the assurance of the kingdom to come where there'll be no need mm-hmm. for, um, there'll be no need for, for war at all. And ultimately, yes, um, shortly all of these differences could be resolved without fighting. And in the kingdom, the differences wouldn't even be there. Or if if any differences did arise, which I don't really think fits with that, but they would be able to be resolved without the need for any kind of violence. But in the same way that we have sickness and disease in the world, and sometimes that requires surgery, that wouldn't be required in a perfect world with no sickness and disease. But we do have sickness and disease, and therefore we need the surgery. Uh, We have, we're in a fallen world, and the part of the, I mean, there, there, there's the spiritual warfare, but there's also physical. The, 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 that sort of battle is extended into the physical world with people who have been deceived by the enemy, um, seeking to do harm to others or to sow discord between people who otherwise might not have uh, any conflict between them. And I think in in, that, in, the, in in the context that if you've got an armed attacker, um. Then, I mean, if there, if, if there was a, a terrorist sort of wanting to set off a, an explosive device in a, in a city centre, the police officer may have no choice but to shoot yeah. him. And I don't think that's wrong. I, don't, I mean, obviously, there should be other ways, but there aren't. And therefore, I think, um, I think that it's, it's justified um, and biblical. Um, but it's so easily corruptible uh it's so easily abused in fact probably more often uh is is, is it abused than than used to protect uh, i think that's the problem but then i think that's the case with we, we talked about that um an ideal husband would be a leader but in the model of jesus's leadership um and ideally there should be no need for force but even where there is a need for force uh, it, it, it could be used uh, in, in my view morally but so often it's not it's corrupted in the same way that the, the model of jesus's perfect headship as a husband is is corrupted by husbands that uh, take that authority and use it for their own gain rather than to exercise their responsibility i think we talk about the um uh, violence uh, could be, or talking about violence could be a trait of being a man or uh, in this uh, conversation, particularly the physical violence, but we have to remember that, you know, violence come in many forms. Uh, it could be emotional or verbal and 
both men and women are capable of inducing those violence against each other. Yeah, domestic abuse. I mean, I, I would I would certainly categorise that as abuse, as, as Ansi said. I think the sort of um, the terming of that as violence is sort of a bit of a redefinition of the word, a little bit postmodern for my taste. I think uh, I would define violence as physical abuse, uh, but I would certainly acknowledge that there are emotional and verbal abuse as well. But I, I wouldn't start calling those violence um, because it sort of muddies the water and. Uh, and it doesn't bring clarity to the debate. In fact, sometimes it's deliberately used to to, to obfuscate and to, and to have a lack of clarity that can be exploited. But is violence being part of a real man then? Um, I mean, ideally, no man should ever have to use violence. Um, but if there's a situation where it is required then I believe it's his responsibility. Like I said, a, a, a husband should provide and that should include providing physical security. Um, and I would imagine that the cost of that um, is twofold. There's the potential risk to the husband in that he's having to engage in violence and maybe hurt himself. But there's also a spiritual risk to him that I think having to engage in that violence is difficult spiritually. I think it can tarnish you. Uh, I think it needs to be done sometimes, um, but that you'd need to really lean on God and rely on God to not let it corrupt you. Yeah, I think it's just, I, I, I agree that. I think it's it's um, another example of where we're in this fallen world and we have we have to deal with the realities of what's there. And we can still make decisions that are, um, that are in line with, with God's, plan for his kingdom and i guess it's it's too vague to to blanket statement say this is how we should behave you know i'm thinking about like um like like christians in the middle east in in countries where um they could be um they could be killed for for being a christian and that if you if you listen to our conversation in in with a certain idea in mind you could maybe argue well they should be rising up and they should be attacking people um to to um to to fight for their religious freedom and that's actually what we're seeing in america like all of these these uh, alleged christians waving their guns around and saying oh yeah you're not gonna don't don't take away my my christian liberties to to meet in church on a sunday um because this this virus thing is is a hoax like you you're seeing that and you're seeing this this tension this like actually driven from within the church in some cases in america um so we have to be careful about doing that um because i think there are times maybe when um well, there definitely are times when violence is justified, but there are also times when maybe we're called to to do something different, to stand out against the world. And maybe that's that's slightly different because it's violence upon ourselves rather than rather than others. But I think I think maybe we can't be more specific than that in this discussion because we're not talking about specific examples. I mean, I agree that uh, that our words um, could be taken differently. I mean, like God, God's own word in the Bible is uh, often uh, used to justify things, which was by no which 
by by no means does it aim to justify. So certainly our words can be taken in that way as well. I mean, I'd be quite clear that sort of uh, I would only advocate violence on a personal level if it was to prevent a, an immediate physical threat to um, to you know to, to to someone who had a had a duty yeah. of care over, or in fact any other innocent person. Um, and then it would need to be proportionate to minimum. Um, I do think there is a case to be made for um, for nations um, engaging in war on occasion, although I think um, so often that has been abused. Um, uh, it's it, that's a, that's a far more difficult situation. It's obviously scaling up the complexity of the question, but uh, I, I I don't think that there's um, I don't think there's justification for people using violence where there is not an immediate threat. I guess it depends on where your ethics lies, but obviously it just sounds like, you know, you're not going to justify violence for violence's sake. So then this is where (laughs) I... Back in Bible school, I had uh, two guys in my class that would always be talking about boxing. And I'm just like in shock because to me, boxing is such a violent sport that I'm like, why Why is this okay? Like, why is this a thing? Why do people find entertainment from watching boxing? I don't know. Do you guys watch boxing? Um... I, I don't I can't remember the last time I watched boxing. Um but there's definitely a very there's definitely a thrill to it. Um whether it's something I want to foster in myself, I'm not sure. Um I mean it's in in the playground, whenever there's two kids fighting, you know, immediately everyone oh. starts gathering around to watch. Uh I think that's a very human response i think it's part of the fallen world um that we live in um so i think that that's there's probably an aspect of it that is uh as a result of the fact that we are that we are fallen on on the other hand i mean where do you draw the line um i guess where where harm occurs in 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 rugby uh if people are people playing playing rugby um there's there's physical contest there as well and I mean, the aim is very much to avoid any injury to the other party. Um, the, the rules are very strict on that, and the implementation of them is sort of designed to avoid harm. Um, but there is kind of that, um, there is that sort of still that physical contest uh, that's in there. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at boxing as a form of sports or art, and it's beautiful, you know, if you watch the great, you know, like Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson, when they, when they, at their peak, um, you know, violence aside, you know, it is a, you know, I would say that it's quite a beautiful um, exhibition of, you know, what peak physicality could be. Oh, interesting. But that's not to say that, that's not to say that, you know, I'm not, I'm not discounting all the violence that, that, that's involved there, but, I suppose the difference is that um, the what you what you see in the ring and what you see in the street fight, uh, it it is quite different, isn't it? That's true. 
when you go into the rain, you you try to to um to win by your physical excellence. Yeah, your stamina. There's, there, there is there is no hatred, or if if it's done if it's done right, you know, there's no hatred towards that person, or you want to kill them. But in a street fight, it's mainly it's mostly from a disagreement. You want to um come to dominant party and and subdue the other side and cause harm cause damage to the, to the other side yeah it's a tricky one um because yeah like steve said where do you draw the line um in my mind i'm like i i'm like yeah punching a sport where punching someone in the face is um a valid tactic seems like it's over the line um but then I, I wouldn't really, like, not that I, I watch and, like, I follow any martial arts, but I wouldn't have a problem with, with, with it, like, martial arts, say, like, in the Olympics and stuff like that. I don't think that's in the same category. Um, so it is a bit like, oh, where, where, are we, where are we deciding what's right and what's wrong? But um, I don't know. With boxing, you, you tend to, there is a bit more, like, bravado about it. Like, you do see them before before a fight kind of well there was that one recent boxer who said that he wanted to have a body yeah. on his scorecard um he, he said he wanted someone to die in the ring against him that was that and and he actually was was uh was heavily criticized by mm. almost everybody for that yeah um quite rightly so because i think he's really lost the point um uh if, if it's going to be a physical contest it's not actually meant to be about hatred but then I think sometimes evil is very alluring in itself. I think the idea of the uh, that sort of the that the, the, there is actually an animosity between the fighters um, is very good for drumming yeah. up interest in 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 the match and, and and sort of selling tickets or pay per view. So fundamentally, isn't it just all to do with power then, the dominance and glory? I I want to. I want to agree with you, and I feel like whenever I come across boxing in a professional, like professional boxing, all I see is like this, like, um, oh, I was gonna, I was gonna use a phrase there that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, all I see is like um, two guys trying to to compare who is the best, um, and and yeah, and. And you all, and I always, I feel like you always, there's, there's so much money involved in betting and it's, it's all about the spectacle and, um, really just seems fairly depraved, like on that level. But also I know when I was, when I was teaching a lot of my students, um, were kind of found their way into boxing as a, as a discipline, as something that they did for exercise. And I really saw a difference in how they, um developed more control of their emotions and like as they were kind of getting more into it um so i on one hand i see i i kind of agree with you but on the other hand i've seen that maybe as a as a sport rather than as a um as an exhibition um perhaps it does have some uses because i imagine like 14 year olds aren't actually trying to knock each other out i think they're they're trying to play like Kay said like the 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 art of, of like the tactics and and the the just i guess the physicality of of using your body rather than 
actually showing hatred to, to the person. So you're right, Ben. So I, I did martial art when I was younger, but I remember that um, it, it's not about it's not about fighting the earth. This is all about you know um, uh, becoming physically strong and um, physically in control of your of yourself, of your strength, of your mind. So, so it's 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 very little about hurting the other party, really. But it could be, it could be used for that. And the nature of people in general, when they've had a taste of that, you know, winning, there is that element of glory. Yes, I agree that there is, you know, in within the sports, um, there's an art or craftsmanship and there's, it's a good, great display of strength. But then you could say the same thing about war, can't you? Like, oh, there's a whole system to it, like strategy and like the way things are ordered and hierarchy. And it's it's a good example of, you know, leadership or servant leadership um because you know i mean even just the few clips that i've seen from war movies is that that whole element of training there's a lot of training involved and and it's clear that you do have to build up your stamina and there is beauty and strength but at the same time i can also see on the other hand there is that corruption of the power when there is too much power too much dominance I mean, taking it in the other direction, I mean, we started out looking at boxing and Ben talked about the, I think, the arrogance and the self-aggrandizement and the gambling. And I mean, there's that in football yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, in a lot yeah, of sports. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that, I mean, I, I particularly don't enjoy football because there's a lot of that arrogance and individualism in it and a lot of disrespect. Uh, I mean, I, I much prefer rugby, although it's recently lost its way a little bit. There's been some elements creeping in, but I can remember um, uh, Alan Wynne-Jones um, as captain in Wales, just addressing one of his own players. And he just points at him and just, just reminds him to be respectful because, and the, the other player hadn't even been particularly disrespectful. He was rolling his eyes as he walked away from the referee and his captain stopped him and said, no, that's not the standard. Um, and I kind of, I, I, I think that's sort of a, a culture that I appreciate more. Um, the idea that, you know, you sort of, uh, you know, that you shake hands with the opposition. I can remember when I was at school, um, being told when there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a big rugby match coming up against, uh, another school and we're going to be down there spectating. And the head teacher told us, um, that you applaud when the other team does well. You know, be honest. And when you're watching and the other team, when they when they really do something really well, applaud. By all means, applaud our team louder, but acknowledge good play by the opposition. And I think, you know, there's those sorts of aspects of sport. Um, good sportsmanship, yeah. Yeah, good sportsmanship is really important. And I think a lot of the professional side of sport tends to lose that because, well, um, the love of money is the root of all evil. And unfortunately, money comes into sport and people are subjected to a temptation that I'm sure many good sportsmen um, are able to ignore that temptation and maintain their standards, but there's going to be a percentage that don't, and that's going to influence the game. And looking at football, there's a very, and, and boxing, there seems to be a very strong culture of huge sums of money um, and 
and a, a, a vast amount of arrogance associated with that. Yeah, male ego. Yeah, I think it's a good example, actually, of, you know, when these, these things can all be good um, when they're, you know, when it's just having a kick around with your mates or, um, sorry to, to <laughs> besmirch your beloved rugby, Steve, but I, maybe we don't see it in rugby as much because <laughs> even at a professional level, it's it's not as, there's not as much money in it, right? There's not as much fame in it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was only, I think it was, uh, it was in, the, in the 80s or the early 90s, the professional era in rugby. Rugby resisted going professional for a long time uh, because they wanted to have that amateur status. A yeah. bit like the Olympics, I think, I don't know if it still is. You, maybe it's what counts as amateur now if you're, if you're funded by your nation's governing body. But uh, rugby specifically tried to maintain the amateur era because it came with sportsmanship. I mean, if you look back at sort of... Uh, sort of the 80s, most of the rugby players were sort of working as professionals. Uh, most of the Irish rugby team were all vets. Um, and uh, there's lots of doctors and lawyers playing rugby. Um, it, it, it was the idea that this was something that you did. It, it, wasn't, your, it wasn't your source of income. So you could be, um, you could be less, less mercenary about it, yeah. be more honourable. So there's, there's been a deliberate drive to... Uh, to um yeah to, to to keep uh to keep some of those standards and in fact yeah the professional era was postponed for as long as possible in rugby um i mean the other side of it is um the 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 the, the regional clubs in wales are not allowed to get into debt they're not allowed to um they're not like the, financially they can only spend what they've got unlike the football clubs which obviously run themselves into the ground financially building up huge debts and uh, crazy wages and things like that yeah. so yeah but i must admit guys thank you so much for giving some insight into sports because actually i'm not that big into sports um but i'm glad that uncle k mentioned that there is beauty in you know when they're at their peak um for all the sports people it's a great example of strength um but when it comes to the bible because we do want to bring up the Bible, <laughs> trying to segue it smoothly. Um, but basically, how important is strength for men, even when you look at examples from the Bible? Like, how is that? How is that a biblical definition of manhood then? So the, the first image that comes to me when you talk about, you know, strong men in the Bible, it's um, Samson. Um, and he's the alpha male. He's he had strength that no other has. Uh, oh, but he had a thing for women. Yeah, yeah, that's his weakness. See, so you know I'm going to this then. Um, so, so I suppose it's how you define strength, isn't it? So Jesus would not have that sort of physical strength. He's just a carpenter and all that. But his his strength in and the resolve in trying to achieve um, and follow the will of his of his father it's it's unparalleled um, and to the point of death I think there are a number of exhortations in the Bible to be strong um, I, was, I was trying to look for one particular one and I found so many more I can't find the one I was looking for um, 
Be strong and trust in the Lord is the one I was looking Joshua, for. I can't Joshua. find that. Joshua, yeah. uh, that is Joshua. There we go. I should have known. Uh, um, uh, and there's also be strong and courageous, all ye who believe in the Lord, all ye who hope in the Lord. Um, I mean, is, is that physical strength? Is that determination? Um, uh, I remember um, talking to some of the the guys who were in um, – my uh, my unit when I was a reservist at university, and they went off and met up with a lot of the guys from the SAS, um, the Special Air Service, the Special Forces guys. Um, they were doing a training weekend with them, um, and uh, and they sort of came back and they said, Do "You know, they weren't all these huge giant guys that you you, sort of, you know you you think this be, and they weren't sort of they weren't all overtly alpha. Um, they were sort of." Um, kind of wiry and resilient and determined um they weren't sort of uh, your action movie bodybuilder types um they weren't even all necessarily that tall um and they weren't all that bulky but they were kind of it, it, it was it was probably more a sort of a resilience and a fitness and a mental strength uh i think was the impression they got from them mm. I, I was thinking um what you guys said said is is true right we are we are told to be strong and courageous and um and there is definitely that that thread and and maybe when we look at the new testament like a, a strength of of faith and of um of trusting um but i've been uh reading through um the book of psalms and just how frequently david talks about Jesus being his strength or God being his strength. I guess he's not actually saying Jesus, um, but he's talking about God being his strength, um, like his rock and his salvation. And um, it, it, I was thinking, oh, actually, however strong you are, however, however much of a Samson you are um, or a David or, or, um, or whoever, actually, or a Nesta or a Deborah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. Trying to trying to pay attention to my yeah, female yeah. audience um, here. It, it's okay because I was gonna say actually, um there's a point where we we're always gonna gonna fall down, right? Like we're always going to um not be able to especially specifically spiritually, right? Like we we are we can think we're as strong as we want, we can be as as strong willed as, as, as we want, but, um, we know that, that it's, it's, it's going to stop working at some point, right? Like we're gonna, we're gonna fall into sin, even if we're trying to resist it as much as we, we can. Um, and actually finding our strength in Jesus, I guess, is the, um, the, the point where we kind of say, you know what, it's not enough to just be, this like macho man, I can fix everything. I can, um, I can take down this whole army by myself. Actually, we can't do that. We we have to look to Jesus. Yeah, I think it's the it's the distinction between being wholly self reliant mm. versus trying to develop your competency. Um, I think it, it's foolish to assume that we can do it all on our own. Um, but I think it's negligent not to try to develop our capacity to be as much as we can possibly do. Yeah. Uh, which is the be strong and trust in the Lord. It's like develop your strength, be as strong as you can. And that's not a fixed thing. That's something you can work on. 
but trust in the Lord because your strength will only carry you so far. And, and yeah, you know, you, you, you need, you need both. I think. Mm. I wonder as, as guys do, we, this is certainly true for me. Do we, um, do we focus too much on our own abilities? Um, because for, for me at least, uh, sometimes prayer is like a, or coming to God with the problem is, is, is not always my first reaction. Sometimes I will, okay, well, I can fix this by putting this work in by, by taking on this burden or, or whatever it is. Not asking for help. Yeah. By not asking for help. Um, and I think maybe that is something that, that affects men maybe more than women. Yeah, I think that's possibly true. I think um, whether this is part of our designed nature or whether it's something that we've um, we've sort of uh, had as part of the fall, uh, like or through society, but the 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 idea of being strong, which I think is a good thing, trying to be as strong yeah. as you can, I think has been corrupted to some extent in that we are afraid uh of our weakness mm. um because we're aspiring to be as strong as possible we try and we try to ignore our weakness or we see asking for help as in revealing our weakness to others um that might who might exploit that because there is a danger there isn't it like they talk about how men don't talk about their feelings <laughs> even before we were recording this show um <laughs> you guys said oh we don't need uh two episodes we're just gonna cut straight to the chase and be very concise <laughs> but actually you guys have actually spoken spoken a lot today <laughs> i mean the, the word weakness seems to be a, a word to be shunned uh off because you know we don't we don't use the word weakness anymore in our appraisal. You know, it's all about um, what are the areas that you think you can improve upon. So, in in some ways, we are taught to to avoid talking about weakness. We talk about, well, let's let's talk about what you can do better. It's the language choice, isn't it? Mm. Because I think I think in terms of emotional and mental health guys don't always talk about that no i think there's been um again i think it's a it, it, it's a matter of extremes um there was a complete denial of, of talking um about difficulties um and that was quite unhealthy um but i was uh, i was recently discussing with my dad about um someone we know who's really struggled with their mental health since coming back from afghanistan uh, and compared that with my grandfather's experience fighting the Japanese in Burma. And I think we, we, we agreed that, um, that men do need to talk about their feelings, that you can't bottle it all up, but that, um, that some of the guys that were fighting in the second world war kind of just had to, because they, there wasn't the space to, they kind of, they kind of just got on with it and they, they had some resilience, uh, I think. Um, and and so some, sometimes you need to have some resilience, and that doesn't mean you ignore the difficulties or the or the struggles you're having. But that you don't. I think that's the generation, though, isn't it? It's all to do with that culture at the time. 
Partly. And, and like, so that's, so that's the thing I think that culture got right is they tried to have some resilience, um, but what they got wrong was they just didn't understand their limitations maybe, or they didn't take opportunities they could have taken to reinforce themselves. Whereas I think our culture now, um, we've started to open up to the idea of, uh, of, of people needing some support uh, and of and of supporting each other. But we've sort of, uh, in some senses, taken it too far. And we've almost, in some, senses, in, in some senses, we've not gone far enough. And in other senses, we've gone too far at the same time. By uh, completely losing the value of resilience, I think um, if there is a problem, you need to address it, get support if you need it. But don't define yourself by the problem. Uh, don't sort of accept the problem as never being fixable necessarily. Um, take sensible steps to deal with it, but at the same time, be attempting to deal with it and, and resolve it. Yeah, I've got a, I had a very uh, funny conversation with Abby um, because from time to time, the school will run like a mental health week, for example. And then she will come at one day that she will say that, you know, if anyone talked about this mental health thing, one more time, mm-hmm. I'm going to blow. <laughs> so you're right to say that, you know, sometimes we can take things like all sinful in our sinfulness. We can take it to that extreme and totally forgotten about, you know, that we do have ability to talk about it and find a way to solve it and, and move on and re- build up the resilience. Whereas we just sometimes tends to stick in that, uh, sort of a learn helplessness situation and keep talking about your mental health all the time and not making steps to to move um, forward. I think it's ironic, though, that we started this uh, discussion and we were talking about, um, like, uh, man flu and how, how when it's a physical ailment, we're either sick or we're healthy. Like, we, we make that decision, right? Um, and I guess I guess that's that can be what... what um, what happens here like you you are you decide that you are healthy or sick and I just, but with physical stuff we were kind of defending it um maybe um whereas actually maybe we should be more resilient with our with our man flu as well as um as with mental health because <laughs> i'm reminded of when when you guys were talking about um supporting one another um, physically or even mentally, I, I'm reminded of the story in the Bible where, you know, there was a man, um, he was carried on a mat by his four friends and they carried him through the roof just so that he could get healing. And so I think when it boils down to it, we do need to support one another. Um, yeah, who, like, I, I should hope that we all have people that we can turn to in times of need when we do need support, when we can't physically carry ourselves to Christ, um, just to go to your friends and, and have them carry you to Christ. And I think, yeah, that's a great picture that I just, just thought mm. of just now. I think especially as, as men, we need to be reminded of that because um, the world sometimes tells us that it's not okay to to ask for help spirit, spiritually or physically or mentally um so as christians i think i think as men we can be as male christians we can be better at um 
opening up to each other. Absolutely. So I I fully um, echo what Anzi was saying that um, it's so important to surround yourself with godly men. Um, so I'm very blessed in the sense that uh, in my cell group, I have a bunch of um, men, um, fathers, and um, that I godly men that I can look up to. I learned so much from them as well, and so they are like my confidant, and I can. Um, share my problems with them and I, I learn from them about their selflessness, their services to their family and um, so, you know, that that's um, yeah, that's a, a, a treasure really for, for any man to have that sort of a friendship and relationship. And I think we see that in the Bible in some examples uh, David and um, Saul's son Jonathan, am I right? Um, uh, they had uh, a very supportive relationship. Um, I think it's important though, that men, whilst we can be reminded, um, that we need to support each other, uh, and that's sometimes been forgotten perhaps in recent, um, sort of society. I don't think we need to necessarily do that in the same way that women always do. I mean, I could remember an example. Um, I was having a really difficult situation at work, um, getting the union involved and lawyers and it was quite a drawn out sort of difficult situation and I phoned up my dad and I talked through with him all the different practical options and the pros and cons and how I was feeling about each of those and the sort of the sort of the struggles with that and and we finished by praying about it uh, and that conversation was about 90 seconds long uh, and we got through all of that, just really, really to the point. Uh, and, and, and that was exactly what I needed. I don't think necessarily um, that the way men need to do it will be the same as the way that women have been successfully doing it for them. Uh, I think that we we need to do it our way potentially too. Yeah. And of course, that'd be different for different guys. Yes. Um, I don't think there's yeah. one model. I don't think there's one model of what works, but I think we need to be open to finding out what does work. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right. Um, so, you guys, we, we normally end the show by talking about uh, what we've learned or what what would be something that you could take away from this discussion. Um, so maybe we can end uh, with that. Uh, Kay? Yeah, I mean, just echoing the last point that I learned to... Um to uh to be more willing to seek help um and to talk about stuff because i'm 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 a bottler i like to bottle up things and not talk about it um and i um it doesn't end well it didn't end well in the past so uh, in my oh and uh, advancing wisdom um i learned to open up a bit more um yeah, it's it's a learning experience for me because I, I was the only child, or have been the only child for for a long time before my sister came along, and uh, so it's something that's it's not something that I I do easily. Um, it's it's never too late to learn. Yes. Hmm. How about you, Steve? Um, over the years, I've learned that um, whilst there is value in tradition, it's not always the value that I think it is. And we have to look a little bit deeper at what the real purpose is. Like I talked about the tradition of a wife changing her name. That in of itself is neither bad nor good, but it represents the coming together of a man and a woman. And that that's what really matters underneath. And I think I was uh, sort of too caught up in the symbols 
because they're very visible to other people and looking for the the esteem of men rather than uh, listening for the wisdom of God um, that underpins those. Um, And uh, it's sort of interesting how, despite being quite driven to meet the expectations of being a provider, the way I think I might be best able to do that is not at all in the traditional way. Um, And I think really having to come to terms with um, humility, I think that's the biggest thing I've had to learn uh, is, 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 is humility. Uh, I think that's probably one of the most important um, principles that I would take in terms of when I'm in a position of leadership anywhere, um, be it as a husband or a father or in work. Um, I think humility um, is, uh, is one of the most valuable things that I've learned. Mm. Oh, what have I learned? Um, I think it's more of a reminder that we don't get our, our view of what it means to be a man from, from the world. Um, we get it from, from God and um, just reflecting on that. And, and maybe when, when I feel, or when we feel as men um, that we're not living up to, to how a man should behave or, or, um, or act um, judging that through how, how Jesus behaved and how, how, um, how we sit in, in God's eyes versus, um, you know, what traditional, um, male stereotypes might be, even if, even if they originally come from, um, from, from God's original intention, kind of looking back to, to what God really intends for us. Ansi, what have you learned about men? <laughs> uh, I think I learned a fair about um, from speaking to you three gentlemen, but if anything, I'm curious to hear from the bachelors out there. Bachelors, come and find me. Um, <laughs> hey! Okay. Oh, oh my goodness! Oh, I, like, I mean, like in the context of what you think <laughs> about this topic, um, <laughs> but. But basically, I think it's really interesting speaking to you three guys because of how a lot of your narrative is is about, ooh, the husband, ooh, the father. But I'm curious to hear what men, if they don't have mm. those titles, how they view masculinity. So, yeah, curious to continue this conversation on. But um, if anything, I do love um, how, yeah, you guys do say um, that you said Jesus should be the clear definition of, um, you know, that masculine role model, Um, even though same applies to women. Like we should all be, you know, God is making us all like Christ, conformed into his image, made in his image. And so I think fundamentally looking just primarily at men, it is, yeah, it's great to look at how Christ um, demonstrated servant leadership, how he humbled himself to the point of death. And, and so I, I really love that point. And, um, and so, yeah, it was a great discussion. Thanks, boys. I, I remember a saying uh, from uh, Rob Parson. He's a very famous mm. um, speaker. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just think that, you know, reflecting, you know, 
being a man at this at this time and at this age is is quite challenging and difficult. So he he would say that um, when things are going well, don't take all the credit. When things are not going so well, don't take all the blame. Mm. Thank you, Steve and Kay, for joining us on today's uh, show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. If you guys have any feedback, uh, you can send it to abside at thebcec.org.uk. Thanks for sticking. Uh, no, thanks for listening up to our show. I hope you've been enjoying so far what we've been discussing. But please do get in touch with us. Well, until next week. Bye. Bye.